Hi, this is Ali Iskandar from Islam and Liberty Network. This is the third of the four-episode long series featuring Ali Salman. In this week's episode, we discuss further about the principle of wealth distribution. On to our discussion. Welcome to the Islam and Liberty podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this show and wish to find out more about us, find us on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. Uh, in this episode, uh, this is the third of the four-episode ep- four long series. So if you are just joining us, I recommend you to listen to previous ones before listening to this week's. Joining us again is Ali Salman. Today, Ali, we are going to talk and expand about your third principle of Islamic economics, which is the principle of wealth distribution. One of the things that we touched about in the first episode was who zakat was for, and we concluded with that it was for those who are basically in need. So I, I want to ask, uh, has the idea of zakat changed over the years? Uh, what does zakat mean today? Well, zakat is um, an obligatory Islamic uh, tax, and uh, and although it is uh, considered uh, uh, like an ibadah, but some scholars have argued that given its uh, social importance, this should be considered as a transaction law. Um, And uh, given that uh, this is a pivotal part of uh, what I would call an Islamic system of public finance, uh, we need to pay very close attention uh, to how it is interpreted and how it is uh, relevant today. Um, and uh, although Quran does not mention about a specific rate of zakat, uh, it does mention in Surah Toba uh, where are the what which are the heads for the expenditures of zakat. And so when when you mention that zakat is uh, for poor and needy, I think this is uh, the this is the general perception and this is how people perceive to be. Hmm. But if if we read Quran itself, then there are seven categories uh, which are defined in this verse. Um, um, you know, first of all, the poor and needy, as 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 you just described. Uh, but there are six other categories: um, the salaries of all employees of the state. Now, the conventional interpretation is that this should not mean all employees of the state, but should only be restricted to the uh, ministry of which is responsible uh, or agency which is responsible for collection of zakat itself. But I mentioned uh, Javed Ahmed Ghamadi who is of the view that uh, this uh, can include the salaries of all employees of the state. Um, the third category of expenditure is uh, the what we call as Muallifatul Qulubuhum which is kind of all political expenditures in the interest of Islam and the Muslims, people uh, for the people who want, whom we want to attract towards Islam. Uh, and then fourth, uh, which is that for liberation of uh, slaves. Now, we know that historically slavery um, was a prevalent social institution in that time. Um, it is no more there in that sense, but still we understand that there are segments in the society, uh, parts of the world where this still exists, so it can be used. And then number f- five is Al-Gharimeen, which is uh, for actually for those people who are uh, under debt, 
can be considered also as uh, who have suffered some kind of financial loss or even paying fines if they are not able to pay certain fines. Uh, number six is fee sabilullah, which is for general welfare of uh, citizens and for serving Islam. And uh, number seven is Ibn Sabil, which is uh, for helping travelers and for the construction of the infrastructure. You can understand like roads, bridges, anything which can help in modern context uh, the travelers. So um, if you see the full list, actually this is this, this goes much beyond just the charitable giving for the poor. It does reach out to several aspects of public finance system. Right. So uh, some of the, uh, especially the line like "smart to free slavery" is interesting to me. So, like in the future, assuming there is no slavery, then there is no need for for that line, right? Is that or would we have to interpret that as something else entirely? So maybe like slavery too. I I don't know, but you know, it's something else and. And something else. I think this 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 is an ongoing uh, exercise. So we mm. cannot uh, <clears throat> decide today uh, that what kind of slavery, uh, whether physical slavery or, or another form of slavery, um, may may exist. I mean, today, for instance, what is very prevalent is you know human trafficking. Mm. What is human trafficking? So human trafficking is a kind of human slavery, right? So we have uh, women who are being trafficked. We have been, we have children who are being trafficked uh, for sex, for other work, for workers, for for illegal work. So that's kind of that's pretty much existent. Yeah. Uh, that's in so many countries. So I think it. This is a problem which I am afraid is not going to go away too soon. So it will remain very relevant. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but is so is Zaka's understand uh, the understanding of how. Who we uh, give to zakah? Do you think it's something that is constantly evolving, just like our understanding of Sharia? As in, like maybe the future, uh, maybe we don't really consider travelers as what we understand as uh, currently travelers. Maybe like to space or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that space traveler is is certainly a luxury, <laughs> and and that could be interpreted that the first priority should be the for those who are traveling on, on earth, right? So this is also, again, subject to interpretation. And we should allow uh, we should allow these freedom of interpretations. You know, even the way I explained, for instance, to you that whether it is meant for salaries of all employees of the state or only for the particular agency, it is also uh, subject to interpretation. So I'm not, I'm not giving a definitive answer here. I'm just uh, talking about broad principles and broad heads of expenditures. Okay, fair enough. One thing that you say was zakah is basically only for non-Muslims. Uh, sorry, sorry, only for Muslims. Uh, my thinking is that doesn't does that not yeah. mean that it's it doesn't seem to jive well with a country that tries to be a secular state, right? Because like. If zakah is only for Muslims, wouldn't normal taxations just be better? Because you know you can apply it to more things in general. So that is why I mean I, I, I this is not a question of actually uh, being secular or not secular. It's a question of basic justice and basic fundamental notions of equality. Um, and same kind of principles should be applied to citizens irrespective of the faith, uh, especially when it comes to public issues. So, 
I'm not talking about uh, ibadat, which is more personal choice. Uh, religious freedom is an established norm in the Islamic uh, thought. But coming back to the issue of zakat, uh, very early on, um, it was devised that uh, the, the, you know that not non-Muslims had to pay uh, something else. Um, so we can talk about terminologies. Um, terminologies can be misleading, but at that time it was it was called jizya, um, and uh, jizya was not exactly equated with zakat, but jizya was equated with the usher which is the tax on the agriculture yield, which was like 10%. Uh, so non-Muslims were also paying, uh, and Muslims were also paying, but they were paying different kind of tax. And, but today we can, we can again, we can come up with, a, with different terms, which is, which is maybe more uniform, uh, but then can uh, still um, you know, apply the same principle of equality. Now, the other angle is expenditure, uh, and uh, we understand that um, uh, you know the uh, zakat cannot be spent also on non-Muslims. Although someone can also argue that one of the uh, heads in zakat is is also muallifa fuqulubuhum, which is uh, you are promoting Islam, and that also means you are promoting Islam, non-Muslims. But I think. The restriction on um, spending of zakat on non-Muslims should be considered in terms of welfare. So you cannot give it to them in the way you can give it to Muslims. But then the substitute system uh, or um, institution rather, which was established already in the time of um, Sayyidina Umar, the second caliph, Rizillah Talan, was uh, the institution of Bayt al-Mal. Um, in which Muslims were generously um, contributing, and that money, or uh, that money, was also spent on Muslims and non-Muslims alike. So these 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 institutions have evolved over time, and um, it doesn't stop us also from discussing these institutions in in the current context. But I think the principle is there: uh, principle of equality mm -hmm. and principle of um, uh, justice is prevalent here in, in terms of the collection. All right, I see. So, but uh, one thing that I was thinking as well, it's like, okay, so you, you've established that although zakat cannot be uh, spent on non-Muslim, the principle at least that equality should be there, then the idea of a normal taxation just still seems more like a, like something that should be applied uh, to, like the idea of a zakat seems to be a lot more limited than it would help, especially since you've suggested last time where Islam rather have as low tax as possible. Yes, so that means zakat to a degree would need to be as low as possible. But then that seems to, it, it's... So, so it may not it, be sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the point is, it, so from the, so, so one point was equality. Hmm. that we have discussed, but now you're saying that it, it simply may not be sufficient yeah. uh, as compared with the tax. Yes, you're right. If you compare zakat at current rates uh, and only in the current prevalent concept, you're absolutely right. Uh, zakat would not be significant and sufficient enough for public finance uh, needs. Uh, but if you uh, expand uh, the uh, the meaning, as I have explained, some scholars have done it, 
um, and I'm just uh, citing some of that work, that the, the rates is not just 2.5% on wealth, it ranges from 2.5% to 20%. And uh, thinking holistically, uh, this also covers um, a 10% zakat on labor, which is same as income tax. So today you're paying, let's say, at, at a high level, maybe 20% to 28% of income tax on your salaries. Uh, but Islam is proposing a low level flat tax, which is like 10% income tax. So that is a part of the zakat. Similarly, if you are dealing with um, natural resources, extraction of minerals, oil, then uh, a higher level of taxation would, would apply, 20%. I mean, we, we, can, we can call it any, we, we, we can talk about the names and the terms, but uh, I think an expansive interpretation of zakat is necessary to consider it as a tangible replacement of tax. Uh, otherwise, it will not be sufficient. I see. So you, it's, it's more like you, you kind of need both of them at, uh, together to make it a more uh, perfect. My point, what I'm saying is that uh, zakat, uh, there's also hadith that once you have paid zakat, then there is no other obligation on, mm. on to you to pay. Um, the spirit is that if you have, if you have implemented the system, um, and um, also the other uh, possible tax, if you want, if you'd like to use the term, is actually the land value tax. So you have to think like holistically. Uh, these taxes, uh, my, uh, I've not done empirical work, but um, it seems that uh, these taxes would be a reasonable substitute uh, for the current uh, different plethora of taxation. We have income tax, we have customs duty, we have withholding tax, we have sales and services tax, we have you know, 50 odd type of taxes, local taxes, city town taxes. You can actually think about a lot more simplified system and which is predictable, which is transparent and uh, which will generate a huge amount of trust in the citizens. And also it will introduce an upper limit on, on how much the government can be in terms of its size. And um, the government doesn't have to do everything uh, for the society. And uh, we have discussed it, or we will um, happy to discuss it further. The institution of uh, Waqaf uh, has been established, which is again uh, part of the whole exercise, which in which uh, when we talk about resource mobilization. Okay. So uh, maybe let's talk about Waqafs uh, right now then, since it's, it'll be fresh in our mind. Uh, maybe you can you uh, just begin on this, just three months on it. So the first. Um, uh, concept of Waqaf, we find actually in the life of uh, Prophet Muhammad himself when um, he uh, allocated the income of, uh, of a garden um, to for the poor. And uh, that was the principle um, which he also uh, you know, adopted from the one of the existing social institutions of, of his time. And over time, Zwakov uh, was established as an um, Islamic institution of social welfare, uh, but it was not just social welfare. There were different dimensions to it. 
So the, the idea is that as an individual, you have created some wealth, you have a piece of land or a factory or a, a garden, anything which, which can be used to generate income. Uh, so you can you can have a piece of land, you can build something on it, or you can have a crop and you can you can cultivate crops too. So the idea is that that fixed asset remains untouched, but the income from that asset can be earmarked for particular causes, which are well defined by the person who is creating that wakaf. And so it's a, it's like a trust in the in that modern uh, legal sense. And so once you create that, uh, the Islamic spirit and the law was that you, the government then cannot, can no longer take it back. So it's like permanent. Uh, it's like protection of private property also. is a permanent assignment for that particular cause. That cause could be family, family welfare. So if someone wants to leave a fa uh, an asset or wealth for his or her own family welfare, which is perfectly uh, legal um, way to uh, to do it, or for the as an orphanage, or for for education, any social purpose. Then it also expanded. I mean, in 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 Ottoman Empire, the wakaf was so uh, ex uh, uh, was you know significantly expanded, and there was an estimate um, a study which says uh, that to almost three-fourths of the landed property in Ottoman Empire was under Wakif. Uh, now, the historical accounts may be exaggerated, but it still suggests that uh, the, this institution was used extensively for social purposes. We also know it was used for helping others to start business, so kind of as microfinance bank of today. And so, it is, it is a system of welfare which is people doing it for themselves, for the people. Government is not involved. That is a crucial principle. Um, and then there is also security of, of tenure. Unlike, unlike sadaka, uh, once-time charity, so you give out cash to someone who needs uh, Muslim or non-Muslim. You can give out sadaka. Uh, sorry. Um is sadaka only tied to uh, just uh, cash, or would could it be anything else, as in land as well? So typically, sadaka uh, has been understood uh, in terms of the cash, and uh, so when we talk about uh, land, if you're giving land to someone without, uh, I would say, expect without a contract of a work of it can be, but. You know, when we considered as, as Sadgar, normally we went the cash donations, which will give out uh, to the poor um, and the needy. Uh, so, 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 Wakaf is a different institution. Sadgar is a different social institution. Both uh, complement the broader social distribution um, agenda of Islamic economic framework. I see. Uh, so, Wakaf seems to be. Uh, it's based on some people's goodwill, right? How, how can Islam uh, really say that, oh, we can guarantee that people would be good to people uh, by walk-offs? Even though, I mean, there is that sense where, you know, uh, zakat would, would be how 
people distribute wealth, but there's no guarantee that people would distribute wealth through wakafs, right? So zakat, uh, so um, uh, so you're right. Zakat is uh, obligatory, hmm. um, and uh, you have to pay when you pass a certain threshold. But sadaqat um, and wakaf establishment is purely voluntary, um, and that is the whole idea that Islam wants that spirit in in human beings to uh, for others um, to be to be demonstrated. This is a this is an institutional mechanism. This is a legal mechanism which has been developed over over history, um, but uh, we cannot guarantee that it will be always uh, the case but i think this is consistent with the uh, you know the idea of freedom the idea of religious freedom that you know islam wants everyone to uh, go to masjid and offer prayer or do the fasting but then not everyone would do it it's it is left to an individual um, so in the same sense the establishment of these institutions are are voluntary in nature and um, but we have seen from the history also currently we see many people uh, not just in muslims but uh, definitely in western societies uh, this establishment of charitable giving establishments of endowments for universities trusts for social causes is is wide it widespread so i think we can reasonably assume that people who have earned wealth can be expected to do Many people, of, many of them, can be expected to do good in this sense. My point of view right now is that although you say that Islam kind of uh, respect private property, but it kind of wants people to as uh, distribute wealth a lot as well. So wouldn't you say that this is kind of close to a social uh, socialist idea where you know mm. we wouldn't mind that the government takes a bit more if they get to distribute the wealth a bit better. It's like as long as you know to strive for equality, as you've if you as you've mentioned before. So, um, so let's let's unpack the term which you used, um, uh, socialism, and what we understand from socialism. Of course, there are like uh, different shades of meanings in in it: uh, conceptual, historical, material, intellectual uh, level. You know. But we are talking about precisely one aspect of socialism which is that equality of incomes, equality, or and also absence of um, private property rights. It's the state as a collective mechanism just distributing the, uh, distributing the, the private property. And um, so that kind of enforced equality is what we mean by, um, by socialism in a strict economic sense. Mm. Um, and um, obviously Islam is not endorsing this kind of distribution. Um, Islam allows for a fair degree of inequality. I think it, I consider inequality, income inequality or wealth inequality as part of a divine scheme. We can discuss how much of inequality can be acceptable. Uh, that's a detailed discussion. But um, I think that kind of uh, distribution which Islam imposes does not lead to an equal distribution and that is not the spirit of Islam and uh, so um, it, is, it is left to the individual uh, it is left to um, and also we'll, we'll talk about um, we can talk about the, the laws of inheritance uh, but that can be discussed 
later on, uh, the the idea remains that uh, this distribution is, um, is 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 far from the social so, socialism, the ideas of socialism, in um, in that respect. Correct. Uh, so before we go to law and appearances, uh, I want to ask: You say that Islam, in a sense, kind of want inequality to some degree because it's part of the divine scheme, right? But then they kind of uh, they also distribute wealth to try to make. It just seems very contradictory. Mm. Uh, it's it's hard for me to grasp. What exactly is it that they're trying to do? Like inequality, but not equal. You know what I mean? It's it's it seems hard. So yeah, I, I think uh, you you have to understand that um, what I what I meant that it's the divine scheme. Mm. I'm saying that uh, the level of inequality in in a society is a um, uh, is something which also Quran mentions that uh, we have distributed resources in different human beings and with, with uh, different level of uh, uh, wealth, and and the purpose behind is that one segment can be helpful for another segment. So it's like a complementary relationship, which we exist in, which exists in a in a society. So that does not mean uh, the the this you know so so that inequality is permissible, but the other thing is 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 also important the idea of wealth circulation. So we have talked about uh, the wealth cir circulation through zakat, through sadaqat, through establishment of wakaf, through uh, land taxation, and so that is happening. Uh, under the Islamic economic framework, the distribution mechanisms are placed, but that distribution so is not going to make things equal, definitely. So we're talking about, for instance, 2.5% of wealth tax, zakat. So, um, so that does not mean that you're going to give away a significant part of, of, of the wealth. Significant part, you still remain the owner of it. Uh, but the idea if you have gold, for instance, beyond the, the Nisab and threshold limit, you will always calculate the value of the gold as per today and then you will pay zakat. But you will still have the uh, gold yourself. So the property belongs to you. Uh, same applies to land. But it just a portion, a small portion of it uh, goes out in, uh, in the, for, so, for social purposes. But I think it, it will not lead to the equality. So therefore, I do not see uh, any contradiction in, in the emphasis on the distribution, uh, which is according to the principle of also social justice and um, uh, the uh, element of uh, economic freedom, which Islam provides. All right, so let's move on to law of inheritance, um, if you will. Uh, can you briefly explain what it is? Um, uh, so Quran has. Uh, it is interesting to see that Quran has um, generally mentioned uh, broad principles. For instance, um, in economic organization, we have explained that um, uh, the wealth needs to be created through voluntary trade, mentioned in Quran. But now, how wealth is created and what is voluntary trade is left to human intellect and human effort. And similarly, uh, the details of even uh, ibadat are not mentioned 
it's we we learn those details of ibadat from the sunnah prophet uh, the practices of the prophet sallallahu but inheritance is something which on which quran has actually gone to a very detailed level of a sort of a formula like distribution formula i think it's it's very complex uh, but it's well elaborated in terms of uh, the depending on the condition of inheritance and uh, here um, and depending on whether the uh, whether you are having a just uh, spouse after after death of someone or the children or the parents so in different kind of situation the quran has provided the rates uh, under which that wealth will need to be uh, distributed uh, but there are also uh, limitations to it uh, so it is it is uh, uh, is ordained that uh, if the deceased had any debt obligation to pay others then that has to be paid first um before that inheritance could could come into force so uh in my humble opinion the the spirit is that this is something in which uh, the human beings being human beings can actually uh disagree purely out of greed like how much and still we know that in many parts of the world people fight over these things people actually kill others on the property inheritance this is mine this you cannot so in that kind of environment and to avoid that um uh, disagreement i think quran has gone down to describing these ratios which um is according to one interpretation which is like which is suggest which are suggestive in the sense that this is this is the minimum you should do you can do a lot more but this is the minimum you should you should uh, you should you should uh uh when you say minimum do you mean as in the value or is it how you split in like this is a minimum uh 1/4 to the female or uh this is because the uh because the quranic verses are uh, mentioned in the sense of uh, ratios so this is actually the the more of the letter where we talk about how are you going to distribute the uh the wealth but uh this is one interpretation the mainstream interpretation is that we follow uh, literally uh, the ratios which are uh, provided in in quran i see uh so it's more popular that the literal interpretation yeah. is followed so there's no actual way for us so um it's clear that in the book itself they the the distribution of wealth kind of favors uh the male side uh, rather than female side especially uh and one thing uh, which we will get to especially uh because you mentioned last last week and uh, two weeks ago uh was that female was considered property as well mm-hmm. uh so there's is there really no way for us to make sure that um if i i wanted to make sure that my family no matter how many what gender they are mm-hmm. but everyone gets equally there's really no way of doing that Yes yeah, so when you mentioned about women being property uh, this was the prevalent social custom at that time and therefore um, they had no right in the property at all at that time and uh, giving them rights through a quranic injunction was a revolutionary step um and defining their rights which certainly have in my opinion would at that time would have revolutionized the social 
composition in a society where women had no power or at least no no access to the distribution of wealth uh, suddenly you have situation where women are getting a significant part of inheritance that must have elevated their economic and social status in the society itself uh, now today uh, are we restricted by the same kind of uh, uh, formula where women are getting less than the men there have been modern interpretations which are suggestive that uh, this is a, a, a minimum benchmark which was set and um, this can this can be increased this can be altered uh, uh, but having said that let's also admit that um, there is there um, uh, there's a kind of a i would say a social um, you know role distribution which islam historically has encouraged between male and female um and the idea that male member of this of the family is actually responsible uh as a main earner uh while there is no limitation or there is no bar on women to to do business or to do um uh, and to earn their living the responsibility is on on the male members of the family um i think it's it is consistent therefore that the 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 male members of the family would get more share than than the than the female uh, so this is a traditional uh, interpretation but as i said the other interpretation also exists which is which will argue about uh, equal or a more flexible distribution system do you would you say that then maybe one day we would be due for another revolution as you say it where we would reinterpret something and then understand how um how love in that person should be understood maybe like would we are we even do for one you think i think at intellectual level this debate is happening and ongoing but at a social uh, policy legal level this uh, debate is non existent at the moment and uh, we can hope that these discussion at intellectual level can feed into some of these social level or some social level of acceptance at least can be um, can be considered but uh, short of that i do not imagine that it's going to happen uh, too soon so um, that is the current understanding all right uh well i think that's all i have to say for now um do you have any closing remarks uh, on wealth distribution to summarize what i would like to suggest that um there are essentially two components of the wealth distribution the first component is wealth circulation and second component is assignment of rights so when we talk about wealth uh, circulation we talk about establishment of wakf establishment of um, um zakat and other forms of collection of money and distribution second is assignment of rights by which i mean um, not only inheritance laws but also uh, the you know fixed rates of of zakat so i think these two components of the uh, wealth distribution mechanism um circulation of wealth and assignment of rights constitutes an important pillar of islamic economic framework okay All right. Uh, all right. So, so that's it for this week, uh, dear listeners. So, if you want more, uh, next week we will uh, probably talk more about the current economics. You think? Yeah. 
and your commentaries on it. Uh, so thank you again, Ali Salman, for joining me. Thank you. So that we'll see you next week then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed and want to find out more about us or any topic, find us on islamandlibertynetwork.org. And I would like to wish you a happy Ramadan. See you next week.